Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. We're just glad that you're here. We are heading into a new year. And, you know, one of the things that, that every new year reminds me of is how time it, it just, it feels like a thief. I think I've heard that in several places, how, how fast it goes. It's stealing from us. Like it, if, it, if we could just make time slow down long enough to appreciate and not miss the moment, because if we're not paying attention, and I do this in movies and in these TV shows that Christina likes to watch, I'm, I'm in and out. My attention span is way short. And, uh, and so, like, she'll be watching a show, and all of a sudden, I'll have to go, wait, what just happened? Because I'm not really paying attention, and I really, sometimes I don't even care what's going on, but I have to ask her to keep up with it. And, and, if, and that, that can happen in our lives. If we're not paying attention, uh, time moves so fast that we, when we finally stop and, you know, catch up with it, we have to go, wait, what just happened there? And, and what's going on in this moment? That's what I want to talk about this morning. That's kind of the theme. Uh, of what I wanted to point out to you. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Uh, There's a country song that uh, was popular when I was growing up by Tracy Lawrence, uh, and it was called Time Marches On. And, uh, you know, north moves south, south moves north, and star is born, born, a star burns out. The only thing that stays the same is everything changes, right? Everything changes. That is the rhythm of our life. It's just constant change. It's not going to stop. And so we're told to make the most of every opportunity, to not be caught wondering, wait, what just happened here? And, and how do I move forward from this? I, I did not be surprised by anything that comes to you. Ephesians tells, tells us, Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, pay careful attention then how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Ecclesiastes, back, if you remember back in the uh, Ecclesiastes series, this was a constant theme, that there is a time for everything, and, and it's just constantly moving. We really can't trust time to help us out. And that's why we have to be very, very intentional about the time that we are given. And uh, I am preaching to myself here, heading into 2024. Uh, so one of the things that, that I wanted to, to look at, we, we get... A pretty good bit on the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus, the shepherds, the wise men, uh, and, and a little bit more. And then it, it really kind of jumps. And, and I want to look at this really quick story that it jumps to when Jesus is 12. And then this is all we're going to get until Jesus comes on the scene later, and, it's, and he's like 30, and it's like the last three years of his life or something like that. And, and so we miss out. I, I say we miss out. We get a, a summary of it. But, but we don't get the details of a good portion of Jesus' life, like 20 years or so, which just, it's just not recorded. Now, John tells us that, that were everything to be recorded about Jesus' life, there would not be enough books in all of the world to, to, to hold that. So we, we completely get that. That's, that's, that's our, uh, we, we got some grace there. But we really, you know, we're, we're kind of left wondering, wait, what just happened? How did we get from, from the Christmas story, like, almost up to the Easter story, you know, the last few years? And, um, 
So Luke 2, let's jump there. Verse 40, it says, The boy grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. So that's, that's one of the summaries we get. So maybe we can, we can assume that's from like maybe two years old up to 12, the first, those 10 years. And then it tells us uh, this story of Jesus in the temple, which is fascinating to me. I've tried to wrap my mind around what this, why this is in here, what it's like, what it's got to speak to us today. So it says this, uh, verse 41, every year his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Okay, so we get, some, we get those details. Every year, yearly thing, Passover festival. We'll talk about that in a second. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom of the festival. And after those days were over, they were, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents did not know it. Uh-oh, we got a, we got a problem here. Assuming he was with the traveling party, they went a day's journey and then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all those who heard him were astounded at his understanding. Astounded. And his, and his answers. So jump with me into this story for just a second. Mary and Joseph, the boy Jesus, okay, this is all we're going to get. This is a picture. Uh, from the parents' point of view, that Mary and Joseph have just lost Jesus, all right? I don't want to show hands of how many parents have lost little ones yet. Uh, luckily, I have not lost one for very long, other than, you know, a bike ride around the neighborhood or something like that. But even then, you know, there's that, that feeling that starts rising up in you like something's wrong. They're not coming back, are they? And we worry. But here's Mary and Joseph. Every year they would make this, uh, this journey, 64 miles, I think it was, with the caravan to Jerusalem to celebrate. So it was crowded. Everybody's in Jerusalem to worship. And, and this is not just any just random trip. This is the big one. All right, this is one everybody makes. The Passover festival went on for days and it, it encompassed this meal that, that was kind of reflective of, of the time in Exodus where God delivered them. And, and that's what they were celebrating, the, the Passover, when the, they had to paint the blood of the lamb on their doorpost. And if they didn't have that, the, the, the death angel swept through and, and took the firstborn, killed the firstborn. And that was kind of the deliverance of, uh, of, of Israel out of Egypt at that time. And so they're still celebrating. And God told them, you got to celebrate this every year. So here they are, Jesus' time. They're celebrating this same festival they've been celebrating for years. His parents would go up. And at the age of 13, it was regularly, like Jew Jewish boys would, would be obligated to go to the temple to learn. They would begin their, their, their training. Now, Jesus being 12, it was not uncommon that, that the parents of little boys would take them you know, to the temple and kind of show them around, kind of their orientation. You know, here's your, here's your classroom, here's the lunchroom, here's the gym kind of thing. And, uh, and so that's probably what was going on here. And when the party's over, everybody packs up and they start heading home. Now, the caravan is, is interesting to me. Because if you remember back a few weeks ago, we talked about, uh, you know, Mary and Joseph in the, in the stable, in the manger, were, were alone. There was nobody there. That's what the shepherds came. That was an important detail. But... Who is not in the picture is Mary and Joseph's family. Now, any, any other 
firstborn Jewish boy would have a crowd of people outside the door. And as soon as the announcement is made that the boy is here, the firstborn boy is here, there's just this eruption of celebration and loud, you know, cries out to thanks and thanksgiving to God. Not, not in the Jesus story. It was, it was a silent night, right? And, that, and that's why it's so important that, that the shepherds came, yes, but also that the angels were singing. And they, they kind of filled in that gap where the family wasn't there for whatever reason, whether Mary and Joseph were kind of pushed out. There's, there's some assumption there. But the angels kind of filled the gap for that. Well, here we are in this story uh, 10, 12 years later. And, and apparently... Mary and Joseph are back in good terms with the family. It says they were, they were traveling among their relatives and friends, so they're, they're back in together. There's a community. That's a good thing. Um, and, uh, and, and all of a sudden, they get a day's journey. And you know it was Mary that, I, that we're assuming here, but Mary had to be the first one to realize it, right? The first one to panic about it. All right, So the, and there's been lots of attempts to recreate this. I found a really good... Uh, illustration of this. Let's watch it on the screens. Brooke, give this to Brooke. Kevin, give this to Kevin. Give this. Give this to Kevin. Give this to Kevin. Give this to Kevin. Kevin. Give this to 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 Kevin. Here you go, Kevin. Kevin's not here. 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 What? You know, I imagine that's exactly how it happened, don't you? You know, Jesus is not here. Jesus is not here. Jesus is not here. Oh, man, can you imagine the panic in, in Mary's eyes as she is searching so frantically for Jesus? And, uh, you know, she didn't sleep at all probably those three days. Now, Joseph, that's probably a different story. You know how guys are. We can marry, you know, our ladies are up worried about things, and we're over there sawing logs. We get plenty of good sleep. Um, but there just had to be this panic, and we see that, that they, they looked and they searched for him. And, uh, but notice the language there. They, they find him in the temple. Okay, this, this may be another little detail that we, could, we need to dive into. Of all the places in Jerusalem, all right, I'm sure Mary and Joseph were hoping that they were with some friend that they knew there. They were, hope, he was, they were hoping they would find him playing with the other kids or, or uh, you know, at least not getting any, tr- any kind of trouble. I don't think Jesus ever really did that. But I think the last place that they would have wanted to find him would be in the temple, the place where the religious elite are in, and he's sitting among them. And and can you imagine the 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 maybe the shame they felt when they realized that he's in the temple? Oh my goodness, these guys—they know who he is, maybe, or they're 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 wondering who is this kid? Who would leave a kid in the temple? Where are these kids' parents? Right. And of all the places, these religious elites start looking down on them, maybe. And uh, Mary kind of has to get on to him. Verse 48, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. 
And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. You just feel it in her voice. Don't you know what you're putting us through? We're worried sick. But you know that, that word astonished. I don't know if that's the word that I would use if I was, had lost a kid for three days. I'd be pretty infuriated, I guess. Maybe not astonished. I don't know. And uh, Jesus responded to him, why were you searching for me? Why were you bitten? Now, these are the first recorded words of Jesus. And he said, why are you searching for me? Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? Now, what is he talking about here? Because verse 50, they did not understand what he said to them. They didn't understand. They're like, okay, Jesus, but just come on, we got to go. Why are you searching for me? Wouldn't you know that this is where I'm supposed to be? Um, he's revealing to them. Now, now Mary knew. And Joseph, they had their, 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 their revelations early on, you know, and they told him exactly what was coming here. And maybe they'd kind of let that slip a little bit. I don't know. They're wondering what just happened. And Jesus is saying, I must be in my father's house. He's revealing more of himself to them. He's saying, God is my father and God and my father wants me to be near to him. And so this is necessary for me to be here in my father's house. But they didn't understand it. We have a hard time with it too. Verse 51, he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. And his mother kept all these things in her heart. Now, that's all we get of the Jesus story until it jumps uh, onto the scene later on, and Jesus is, is uh, beginning his ministry. And, and, it, and we know that, uh, uh, you know, Mary kept all these things in her heart, and, and Luke, the writer of this book here, he did all this research. He was very detailed. He spoke to Mary. I'm sure Mary, you know, Mary tells the story about Jesus. Oh, I got to tell you this one. There was one time we went to the temple, or to Jerusalem. We left Jesus in the temple. You got to put that one in there. And then he's like, well, what about Jesus growing up? And here's, here's all he got. And Jesus increased, this is verse 52, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. And yours may say he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Uh, both are the same. That's what it was like for Jesus to grow up. For, for the majority of Jesus' life, it was growing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and in favor with man. The majority now, now we, we want to, uh, to follow his example, especially those last three years. We, we want to do what Jesus did. We want to love people like Jesus did. And, and, and by all means, that is exactly what we should do. But what about this, this growing season that Jesus went through, this, this, this time of growth? Sometimes we forget that. We want to just jump from, from beginning a relationship with Jesus straight into the ministry with Jesus. And we forget that there were, there were 20, 30 years here where he just grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and, men, and man or with people. And, and I wonder, like, what does that mean for us? How, how, do, how can we take this? This huge chunk of Jesus' life, does that mean, does that apply to me? And I think so. I think there is a, a for sure growing season, and I'm not telling you it has to be 20, 30 years. No. You don't have to wait to, to do ministry for, and just grow for 20, 30 years. But you, do, you don't need to de- neglect the growing season 
that, uh, that came for Jesus and it comes for us too. And if that's what Jesus did during most of his life, then what am I doing with my life? What is the best use of time? How can I avoid just waking up one day and going, what just happened? How, how did we get to, from this point to this point? And the best use of time is to intentionally increase or grow in these four things. And growing up can, can be kind of tough sometimes. It actually kind of stinks. In, in our house, the number one rule is no growing up. No growing up. I think we got that from the movie Hook. It's not original. And we learned from Peter Pan, if you grow up, you become a pirate. So you don't want to become a pirate. And, uh, you know, it's a good thing to never lose your sense of wonder. And that, that's what I want my kids to always be curious and to, to, to want to just have fun and, and not grow up way beyond that and become, you know, too stiff. Uh, but maturity requires taking responsibility for life, and that's what growing up does. Growing up is necessary. We can't avoid it. Uh, we should not be the same as we were 10 years ago. Uh, we should constantly be growing. Part of Jesus' humanity is that he grew up just like us. Philippians tells us that he took on the form of a servant. And don't think that, that he, uh, he gave up his deity that, that's what the church has wrestled with for centuries ago. They kind of settled it. They thought, no, there's no way Jesus can be fully human and fully God, right? Yes, he can. He can 100% be fully human and fully God at the same time. He can handle both of those. He knew the struggles of growing up and becoming an adult, and he sympathizes with us as we too grow up. So let's walk through each one of those. Growing in wisdom, that's the first one. Jesus grew in wisdom. Now, Jesus was wisdom, wasn't he? Like, like when he taught, he would blow their minds. Even, even we get the glimpse of that, he astounded the teachers in the temple at age 12. All right, so there's already wisdom there. He is the wisdom of God. I don't, I don't want to confuse you there to think that like he had to learn lessons and he had to fail uh, and had to, you know, Jesus had a little bit of sin in there. That's not what I'm saying. He was wisdom. He grew in wisdom. He had to kind of realize it, and God taught him. that uh, Proverbs 13, 20 says this, The one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. And, you know, wisdom is, is different. I think we've said this before. Wisdom is different than knowledge. Knowledge is just, is just intake. It, it is growing in intellect and information. Wisdom is applying those things. It's living according to the value systems that you have been taught and we've been given in the scriptures to live by. The, the wise ones understand what God wants for them and, and lives by that. The, the fool would, would hear God's word and, and not live by that, right? And so wisdom is how we live according to what we know and the values that we have in our life. It's, it's, and knowledge is just based on what we have learned. Anybody can have knowledge. And, and, and what is, you know, 1 Corinthians really helps us with this. Knowledge puffs up, right? If it's just knowledge and not wisdom, we're going to experience this inflation of our egos. And, and we see uh, parables, you know, that Jesus taught. One of them, the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. I think this, that's, that's kind of the picture here of, of wisdom. These men were given a huge gift, had free reign to use it however they wanted to. They did not deserve the gift. It, the master just gave it to them. It was way more than they would ever deserve, way more than they ever needed. Most of them did something with what they were given. 
And this was considered living wisely. The unwise guy hid his talent in the ground. And when the owner, when it came time for the owner to come back, he just gave back what was given to him. It had no increase. It was just, here it is. Luckily, he didn't lose it. I can't imagine what that was like. But what separated the wise from the unwise was what they did with the gift that they were given. And, and I know that parable, that parable has a lot to draw out there, but, the, but there's one thing there that, that they, they did something with the gift that they were given, and that was considered wisdom. That is how to live wisely. And Jesus took wisdom and, and turned it a little bit on its head. He took what was foolish in the world specifically his disciples, I think he was telling them that, like none of you are the wisdom of the world. But he took them and he used each and every one of them and, and, uh, and made them wise. He still does that for you and for me, and that's what Corinthians tells us, that uh, what is foolish in the world is wisdom to God. And, and so part of our problem is that we just make unwise choices, that, that we know up here what we ought to do, but our heart doesn't hasn't maybe hasn't caught up to it to, to motivate us to do what we know we ought to do. And so we, we live unwisely. We want to stop doing that. And when we don't know what we should do, we're told by James that all we have to do is if we lack wisdom, we should just ask for it. Did you know that? That, that all you have to do to gain wisdom is just to ask for it. Like, no, that's not possible. I've got, to, I've got to learn from my mistakes. And no, just ask. Just ask. So this year, first step here, grow in wisdom, increase in wisdom, and it's time to take what you have learned and begin living by what you know to be true and the values that have been uh, uh, burned into your heart and live by them. And then it says grow in stature. All right, and this is everybody's focus this time of year, grow in stature, the physical growth part of it. Some of you tomorrow are going to eat your black-eyed peas and think that's going to help you grow in physical stature. Good luck with that. And, um, and your cabbage and all those little things that, you know, go, by all means do that. Some of you are, have already set up your gym membership, and good luck with that. Some of you are really good at that. Some of you like me or not so much. And, uh, but it's, it's important. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm encouraging good physical growth this year. I'm, I'm absolutely doing that. 1 Timothy 4.8 says this, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. So, so with maturity, uh, with, with growth physically comes maturity. And... Um, he no longer acted like a child. That's, that's, again, 1 Corinthians 13. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I put aside childish things. There comes a time where we have to grow up. Hebrews tells us we need solid food and not milk anymore. And so we grow physically with good nutrition and exercise and all those things. And our spirit needs the same thing. It needs good, you need to stretch your faith out this year. That means when, when, you, when you come to a crossroads this year, and, and when you are struggling with God, why are you, why have you, number one, why have you allowed this? And, and, then, and then you may even be asking God, are you really, how can you be good when you allow this? You need to let your faith stretch a little bit. 
Don't just throw your faith out. Let it stretch. Let it get some exercise there. And you feed your soul with God's word. Let your faith stretch out when life hits hard and you will, will grow both spiritually and, and physically. But then it says he grew in favor or increased in favor with God. And I thought, what in the world? What in the world? Favor? How do we, how do we grow or increase in favor with God? Because we can't earn it. Like I can do a bazillion things, really good works. I can spend the rest of my life doing good works, and I have not earned one more ounce of God's favor in my life. And sadly, what I've seen a lot, maybe this past year or so, is that instead of growing, instead of people, both believers and maybe even non-believers, instead of people, instead of them growing in God's favor, and they've grown more into uh, shame and guilt. And they just carry that. They increase in shame and guilt and uh, decrease in, uh, in understanding or growing in God's favor. Let me explain that for a second. Because I, I don't want to mislead you and think that you can you know, lose God's favor there either. Um, the word favor that he's using here is charis. Charis. And I may be completely butchering that word, but remember charis. It's also translated grace in other places in the scripture. So favor works for this path. He grew, he increased in favor with God. But know that that same word, he increased in grace, in the grace of God. It's the same idea. Grace is undeserved favor with God, right? So Jesus increased in that. In order to increase or grow spiritually, you need to understand and just dive into the grace of God. You need to, uh, to grow in that, in this concept of grace. It is grace that God has given you another day to live. And, and the greater grace is that he offers us that the holy and perfect God offers us a relationship with himself, an imperfect and unholy people. He, he, he's offering that to us. That is a, the greatest grace that there is. And it comes through Jesus. Grace is the covenant fellowship that the Holy God offers to an imperfect and unrighteous people. And he shows his favor. And remember Ephesians 2.8? For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. So the more we understand and grow in grace, the more we will understand and our salvation and that we don't need to do anything to try to receive the gift of God that he offers to us. We don't need to be afraid that we have done anything, that he is going to take back the gift that he has given us. Grace means that you can quit trying to impress God with your holiness, your list of good choices, and efforts to build his kingdom. He loves that you do those things. He loves that you want, that you are seeking first his kingdom. He loves that. But if we do that to try to impress him, to try to gain more grace, we've missed the, the, uh, the boat there. And he wants you to grow in the, just, that's all he wants you to do, is just grow in grace. There's that, that famous hymn, Amazing Grace, one of the lines in there, it says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." So not only does it, it teach us the love of God and draw us into that, but it also sets us free from this burden that we all carry. 
and that, that for centuries people have carried to try to earn God's favor, to try to earn his love, to try to make him turn his face towards us and give me more than maybe somebody else. And, and it's just not, uh, not possible. I can never uh, do more good than I have done bad. It just never equals out. It never, never comes to the positive there. And uh, I, don't, I don't know that we'll ever fully grasp how great God's grace is, but we can absolutely grow in it. And his grace doesn't end where our sin begins. It goes way beyond. And, and we will never fully have assurance in Christ if we're still leaning on our efforts instead of his grace. So grow in this. Uh, Chuck Swindoll has a book about kind of pointing out a bunch of this stuff. It's called The Grace Awakening. And he, he points out that there are two dimensions of grace. And he calls the first one is vertical grace. That's what we're talking about here. It centers on our relationship with God and frees us from the demands of the law. The other is horizontal grace. And that's the last part of uh, this verse 52, uh, where he grows in favor with God and with man. Horizontal grace. Horizontal grace centers on our relationships with others. It frees us from people-pleasing and adjusting our lives to the expectation of human opinion. That's what uh, Swindoll says. Imagine that. What if we lived our lives without trying to please others, without trying to uh, you know, go with what other people expect our lives to be like and listening to that? Now, how did Jesus grow in this? How, how, what was his vertical uh, or horizontal grace like? Jesus willingly subjected himself to this human nature that you and I have. So he understood that there were, you know, there were social norms and, and all those things. He, he sympathizes with us for sure. And, and, and there were, he, he had to understand what it takes for people to listen. And I think they did. I think it came from his wisdom. They knew he, they were astounded. Obviously, at, at age 12, they were astounded at him. But he navigated young adulthood just like we did. And he could have influenced people by his power. He could have just touched them and they were, their lives were changed. He could have. But he chose to do it the way you and I would have to do it, and speaking truth, showing grace, and serving others. And this is influence in people's lives. Now, I'm not saying that we, we, we give up our, uh, our truth to, you know, just to have an influence in people's lives. I think we can, we can do both. We need both truth and grace. And I'm not saying that we should love the world or anything in it. But I am saying maybe we could do a better job of influencing other people if we increased in this grace, this, this horizontal grace towards other people. And the greatest example of grace towards others is, is in Jesus' last few days, right? That while he was beaten and the crown of thorns placed on his head, and even while he hung on the cross, he said, God, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. After being humiliated and abandoned, and after the very people he came to save were shouting, crucify him, it was his grace towards man that he would die for their forgiveness. And it's the same for you and me. You know, we were a part of that too. It was my sin that put him on the cross. It was your sin that put him on the cross. 
And he would say that very same thing to us. And if Jesus forgave the people who put him on the cross, can I hold on to any unforgiveness? And if I'm going to be more like Jesus in this, I'm going to be confronted with this grace that he, he extended to me, and how am I going to extend that to other people? And, and I, I felt that this weekend, just kind of being out in the community, and, and we went shopping a little bit yesterday, and I'm like, man, I am very, very different from a lot of people in the world. A lot of, we, we think there are people, you think nothing alike, completely different worldviews, completely different uh, responses to situations, I mean, opposites. But that doesn't mean I can't show them the same grace that God has shown me. Um, Jesus was gracious towards people, and we should be too. We need to extend the same grace to others that he has given to us. He grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God, he increased in grace, and grace towards when with people. That was that was this 20-year span. All right, and then we're gonna it's gonna jump from here straight into Jesus' ministry. What just happened? Well, that was that's what happened. He grew, he increased in those things. And we want to imitate Jesus, and and that's a great thing to do this year, is to seek to grow in both wisdom, stature, favor with God, and with men. That's a great, that's a great option. If you do that, God is going to do incredible things in your life this year. But the first step is you have to receive this grace that we've been talking about. If you're still, if you're one of those ones who are still trying to earn God's favor, maybe you're here today. The only reason you came is because you think God is going to, is going to look on you and your efforts just a little bit more and you're going to earn it. I want to extend this invitation to you for you to receive his grace and be changed by that and to believe that Jesus is Savior of the world, confess him, believe that that sacrifice he made on the cross was for you, that you don't have to do anything anymore. You just receive it. And, and if that's not you, maybe this year we need to just grow in that. Do you need to extend grace to people in your life in an in a increasing way? Do you need to dive into what this grace for you from God actually means? That's what I want to encourage you with this morning. Whichever boat you're in there, that's my challenge to you. Would you increase? Would you grow in those things? So I'm going to pray here in just a minute. If you, if you have never received this grace, if you, need, if you need this salvation, you need forgiveness of your sin, and to receive this grace, I want you to pray along with me, and we'll tell you what to do here in just a second. But if that's not you, I want you to pray with me and just ask, God, show me where I need to grow this year. So let's all pray together. Father, we, we come before you. First off, God, there are some in this room who need to, uh, first off, surrender and, and receive the gift of grace that you've given to us, the salvation that comes by grace through faith. It's a gift, greatest gift of all. And uh, they come before you, God. I pray over them right now. They'd come before you best they know how. Lay every burden down. Seek you with all their heart. Surrender to you with all their heart. And begin this, this new year walking with you in a changed life.
Pray for them right now. I'll, I'll lift them up to you. I pray that they would fully surrender to you. And God, I also pray for the, the one right now who struggled with fully understanding your grace towards them. They've surrendered to you, but there's still this temptation to hold on to efforts and instead of just living in your grace and growing in it and showing grace towards others. God, that can be hard sometimes. People are different from us. They've, they've maybe hurt us. And God, they need the same grace that you've given us. And we, we pray that we would grow in that. God, thank you for all that you're going to do this year. And we pray over uh, everybody here. God, I just pray that as we go from here, we'd be people of grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make Him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.